It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. After the record-breaking Premier League agreement, we discuss the upcoming MLS TV deal. We talk NWSL Championship Final and its TV ratings. Where does NBC go from here with the Premier League? Our recommended games for this weekend. Plus, what's happening with the downturn in the standards of CBS's soccer coverage? On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnair. My name is Christopher Harris. Kartik, there's a lot of places we can start on this week's podcast. It's the, uh, I guess it's the, you mean, it was before, the calm before the storm was a few weeks ago before we knew uh, the Premier League um, uh, announcement in terms of uh, NBC renewing the deal. Now it's after that stormy period and 15 years, it still, it still takes a lot of, um, it, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. 15 years is such a long time in the soccer TV rights business. Uh, that will be from the beginning that uh, NBC had the rights in 2013 all the way through to 2028. I mean, you think back 15 years ago from where we are today, it would have been, what, 2006? And it yeah. just seemed that there was so much upheaval and change, I mean, from Fox Soccer Channel and rights going all over the place and being shared. 15 years is a very long time. Yeah, and it'll be a, uh, a quaint memory the Premier League on Fox Sports World and Fox Soccer Channel for, for most people after 15 years. I, I can give a personal example of, of this, uh, remembering this as a kid. When I was a kid, um, college basketball was synonymous with NBC, not with CBS. And NBC lost the rights to the NCAA tournament um, when I was eight years old or seven years old. And every couple of years we'd read in the newspaper, NBC is going to go after, because they kept showing a lot of regular season college basketball. They're going to go after the NCAA tournament rights. They're going to get the NCAA tournament rights back or they'll split it with CBS. Never happened. Uh, and 15 years later, which would have been like 1998, no one even knew NBC had broadcast college basketball. It was synonymous with CBS. And I think that same thing is going to happen in this country with the Premier League, uh, where the, the Premier League is going to be synonymous with NBC and people are going to look back at – they might even look back at, at the final season of Sir Alex Ferguson, the 12-13 season as the last B before NBC season, right? Before Comcast. We call it BC, before Comcast. <laughs> and 
watching the Premier League was a completely different experience in, in the United States in those days. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, 15 years is a long time. And that that has dawned upon me, Chris. It's going to be 15 years consecutively when this deal is done. So that's that makes a league synonymous with a broadcaster in this country, which has not often happened with this sport or, as I said, with many, many sports. I mean, actually, same thing happened uh, uh, with uh, the NBA with CBS. When they lost the NBA, everyone assumed they'd get the NBA back in a few years. They never got it back. 30 years later, they haven't broadcast an NBA game since 1990. So mm-hmm. um, it's very uh, – I, I think uh, the partnership has also elevated the Premier League to the point where so many of our listeners probably – have no real recollection of what it was like before NBC showed that first uh, that first match, which I believe was a Swansea match, if I remember correctly, right? Wasn't it Man United and Swansea? Um, it may have been. 2013-14 uh, season. So, so uh, unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's, it has dawned upon me. I don't think it dawned upon me until Rebecca Lowe said Saturday morning, this will bring our deal, our partnership to 15 years. And then I thought, oh, my goodness, that is a long time. So, Kartik, I have to ask you a question about, uh, I mean, you are an avid follower of the women's game. And uh, I watched, as many of us did last weekend, the uh, NWSL final. Um, You mean, a decent game. It wasn't the the most exciting final by any means. Oftentimes, no matter whether it's uh, men's soccer or women's soccer, Sometimes the finals don't live up to the billing and and it's it's a a decent game, but nothing thrilling by any means. I I have to ask you, though, too, Kartik, because I was watching this game and I was thinking to myself, in terms of the standard of the NWSL, where is that in comparison, would you say, to the Women's Super League? Because um, for me personally, some of the Women's Super League games I've, I've watched, and I watch that now and again, it's kind of at random but the level seems to be higher than that NWSL final, or, or is it me? That is the most loaded question in women's soccer in terms of uh, outside of like the, the sexual harassment uh, uh, stuff and, and everything else uh, going off and on off the pitch. Uh, it, it's a very partisan thing where Americans and people connected with U.S. women's soccer insist the NWSL is a higher standard. Then you talk to people who are not connected with the the, the, the kind of professional women's game. And it's not just people working in the women's game. I would say it's American journalists, too, are convinced that the NWSL is of a higher standard than the WSL. I am not convinced of that. So here, here's where I would what I would say, Chris. The uh, NWSL, I think, and you saw it again in this final, is an overly physical league, right? It's very yeah. – I mean, I, a couple of seasons ago when we had the final here in Orlando, the Portland, uh, uh, Carolina, North Carolina final, it was like a rugby match. I mean, Portland, mm-hmm. that was what Portland had to do to win, I think. They felt like they just had to rough up North Carolina. This match felt a little bit like that, too. Whereas when you watch uh, – I watched Chelsea-Man City two weekends ago. Man City was terrible in that game, as they have been much of this season. But the technical abilities and the patterns of play are much more evident among the top teams in the WSL. The Chelsea's, the Man City's, the Arsenal's, and the Manchester United's. Uh, Everton to a certain extent, you see these patterns of play. You see, I think, better technical moves. You see a more technical game, a more, um, I think, easier on the eye game from my perspective. However, there is no question that the level of physicality and the level of athleticism in NWSL is probably higher than the WSL. So I, unfortunately, I hate to 
to say this, Chris, because this is probably going to open up a whole can of worms among our listeners. This goes back to the stereotypes, right? Uh, American football, American soccer is very physical and very much based on athleticism and running and fitness and stamina. Whereas uh, the European game is much more technical and based on patterns of play and tactics. And quite frankly, that's the difference between uh, the WSL and the NWSL. I, Emma Hayes is the best women's manager on the planet. I don't know if her style would work in NWSL because, quite frankly, I mean, you would, the, 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 the players in the Chelsea midfield or, you know, let's say she's managing a U.S. team, would have no time and space in midfield to make the moves because there's so much physicality in that league. So, um, and, and, and so much of kind of athleticism and long balls, that's changing a bit. And I think that there's some college programs, I'm most notably, maybe I'm biased because I'm in the state of Florida, most notably Florida State University, uh, that is uh, uh, doing things very differently and I think uh, maybe helping to evolve the U.S. game away from that. But, um, yeah, that would be my comparison. And I know I just opened up a can of worms because people, uh, Chris, are very partisan about this issue, about that specific question. They're very partisan. They get very passionate and they get very angry if you give the wrong answer in their view. Yeah, the actual game itself, I mean, so this is a game that uh, was on CBS Sports, uh, actually CBS CBS Network. Um, good coverage, I mean, good commentating, it, it just the, the game wasn't the most exciting one, it, even though at the end, uh, Washington Spirit uh, getting kind of a late, late uh, winner to beat the Chicago Red Stars there to win the 2021 title. Um, the, 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 actually, let's skip to the TV streaming news section, and, and in regards to this game, the big talking point is the viewership. 525,000 viewers uh, for the championship game. Um, in comparison to another game from this past weekend that was on over-the-air television, and that was on uh, ABC, and that was the MLS playoff game between uh, NYCFC and Atlanta United. And the ABC game for MLS got 400, 435,000 viewers. So it's a playoff game versus a championship game. But to me, if I'm CBS Sports or NWSL or a fan of women's soccer, I'm, I'm really optimistic about these numbers, Kartik. What do you think? Yeah, that, that game was up against the Arsenal-Liverpool match on NBC, NBC over the year, the NWSL championship game. So that's a really, really good number. I, um, I, I don't know. I can't remember what the uh, – what the NYCFC Atlanta United match was up against. Uh, it was up against, I guess, American football. But um, that, that's, a, uh, uh, that, that, that's actually a very low number, in my opinion, given the two teams involved, right? The New York market, which I contend that MLS still has not figured out from a TV perspective. And Atlanta United, and those who listen to this podcast or read me, read my articles, know that I tend to think that if Atlanta's playing in a match, uh, any national MLS game, you put Atlanta on, you probably get a spike of 100,000 viewers. So if this had been NYCFC versus uh, Nashville or, or versus uh, New England, it may have been 335,000, which is even more uh, alarming a number. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I thought the number was good. The numbers have been consistently good for NWSL when they've been on CBS Network Television. Remember last year during the Challenge Cup and then also during uh, – the fall season, uh, while college football uh, started late. Remember, because of COVID, college football didn't start uh, when uh, it normally starts. So they, they were able to put a bunch of games on network television. The ratings were okay. They've stayed pretty consistent. Whereas MLS games, they're all over the place, right? You get some MLS games that on Fox or on ABC 
when they're put on network television, they get great numbers. Maybe it's based on the lead-in or what's coming in on after. And then you have some games where the numbers are indistinguishable from games on cable. So uh, I, I would be very encouraged to find CBS. And I don't know what their numbers are like, obviously, on CBS Sports Network. That is not a Nielsen-rated channel. But, Chris, I have to tell you, it seems as the season went on this season, more and more NWSL games were popping up on my programming guide for CBS Sports Network, midweek games. Uh, double headers on Saturdays, some days, you know, a game on a Saturday and a game on a Sunday. So uh, what was largely a Paramount Plus property at the beginning of the season became very much a CBS Sports Network property towards the end. And that probably helped build that number for the final. In other news, uh, Charlotte FC President Nick Kelly spoke to World Soccer Talk this week in regards to Charlotte FC's uh, debut uh, next March, they're playing their first home game against LA Galaxy. We'll have a story uh, by Carl Fansler uh, this week, probably on Thanksgiving Day, about that that goes into more detail. But he did talk to us about um, MLS TV ratings, too, uh, and also MLS, um, the actual TV deal that's coming up soon. We asked him whether he thought that uh, MLS will be able to break the records that it has right now currently, which is $90 million a year. Under its current deal, uh, this deal ends at the end of the uh, 2022 season. Uh, of that $90 million, uh, approximately $30 million of that goes to uh, U.S. soccer for the U.S. men's and women's national team games. So relatively about $60 million a year in um, TV revenue. Whether or not they would be able to break that, we would imagine that they would. But uh, he did say... Um, According to uh, Nick Kelly at World Soccer Talk, he says the expectations are high. I would probably assume that everybody across the entire league, the players, the owners, the coaches, and certainly the front office in New York, believes that there will be considerable growth. And uh, we know that now that the Premier League TV deal has wrapped up, now the broadcasters are speaking with MLS, and um, the opportunity exists for the right players uh, to go ahead and get the rights to this league. We asked him, uh, Nick Kelly, uh, Charlotte FC president too, we asked him what his thoughts were in, in regards to who would be the best partner for them. He's, he said, without naming any names, uh, the big thing that we are pushing collectively as a league is that whoever comes on board, they do everything within their power to promote Major League Soccer. We need a partner who comes on and really wants to help us use the next four years prior to the World Cup in 2026 to grow the sport. That's almost as important as the financial investment. We need somebody who sees MLS as a key pillar in their content platform. So, Kartik, I'll ask you, I mean, a lot's, <laughs> in some ways, a lot has changed since the Premier League deal. In some ways, a lot hasn't changed. Now that we know that NBC is out of the picture, I mean, NBC is going to get the Premier League. I mean, they have the Premier League. Uh, they're very unlikely, probably a, a 1% chance of any interest in uh, MLS TV rights. Now that we know that NBC is out of the picture, um, who for you, is there anyone that stands out that you might think at this moment in time could be a good fit for MLS? Someone who is a partner and promotes the league. Uh, I don't know who that is. I don't think ESPN, look, ESPN I think has done more promotion of MLS than their critics give them credit for. But their promotion of MLS is never enough to satisfy MLS people, if you know what I mean. Right. I mean, I get all these complaints. These complaints go back to when ESPN had the Premier League rights that uh, people complain. I remember 
there was a Saturday morning in those days. The uh, the early Saturday kickoff was twelve forty five UK time, so seven forty five Eastern time here. Uh, a match between uh, Manchester United and Chelsea. It got a really good number, six hundred fifty thousand or something, and. MLS fans simply complained. Well, that's because they promoted that match on SportsCenter. Well, yeah, it was Man United versus Chelsea. It's pretty relevant to SportsCenter, right? Your average MLS game is it. And then I've heard these complaints since, uh, not really about Serie A, but since the Bundesliga went to uh, ESPN, I've heard lots of complaints from MLS fans and people who, I, w- I wouldn't say they're like typical fans, right? They're connected in the game. Hey, uh, this is ridiculous. They're doing all this stuff on SportsCenter. Anytime I open the ESPN app, they're pushing Bundesliga on me. They don't do that for MLS. And now the same thing with La Liga. So I think ESPN has promoted MLS as well as they can, given the numbers, the property yield for them, right? Given the rights fee they shelled out, uh, given what they've gotten in return in terms of viewership. Also, when you consider the fact that it's a link deal, the one current deal with with the U.S. Soccer Federation, uh, and they promote those matches. So... But I don't think ESPN satisfies what uh, what what um, Kelly says. So the question then becomes, who is that partner? Um, is it CBS? We've seen what a good job CBS has done. I think in particular with Serie A, even more so than the Champions League to this to this point. But how much is their promotional bandwidth? They don't have the megaphone that ESPN and, and the Disney networks have. Uh, Viacom, CBS is strong, but they're not. In, the, in this specific space, not as strong in promotion as ESPN. Fox, I don't know where, where MLS sits with Fox in terms of do they think Fox has promoted the product uh, well. I think Fox maybe has been inconsistent in their promotion, but at times they've done very well with it. So then that leaves you with thinking about Turner, right? When Warner Media came in with a big bid for, uh, uh, for, for Premier League, by all accounts, as we're trying to figure out what actually happened, and more will, will emerge, I'm sure, in coming days and weeks, Chris, it appears like they may have been the biggest threat to take it from NBC, Warner Media, which means Turner and HBO Max, et cetera. Um, are they that partner that can properly promote the league? Now, we see what they've done with the NBA, but then we also see what they did with Champions League. So that's um, – yep. y- y- you're not sure about that. So I really don't know, Chris, because the, the bottom line is I think ESPN's done okay by MLS, and they've had the property now for 25 years. And the league has, they've grown with the league. Their coverage of the league has grown with the league. The league has grown with ESPN. But MLS people I talk to are never satisfied with ESPN's promotion. And they don't like effectively playing second fiddle to European leagues at times. They don't like the fact that uh, ESPN goes all out on ESPN FC to promote El Clasico. They don't like that ESPN goes all out to promote whatever is going on at Barcelona or Real Madrid. They, they would like that conversation to be about LAFC or about the Atlanta, uh, Atlanta United. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, we have some clues. And I, I think these clues come from the Premier League TV deal or the actual kind of the negotiations, trying to get a winner there. Ultimately, NBC gets the deal. But the ones that came in second and third, second probably was the Warner slash Fox deal. And that was a combined deal. That gives you an indication that uh, Fox, for the broadcast rights, but then Warner Media, or Warner Discovery, uh, well, it's Warner Media right now, and Warner Discovery next year for the streaming rights. So a combination of, of an HBO Max and, and Fox, I mean, FS1, FS2, Fox Network. And then maybe down the road, 
that uh, that Warner Discovery deal would then be on some of the, the television channels uh, once that merger is complete, as well as HBO Max. That That's the first possibility. And we know that Discovery Plus went in uh, big time with, with a large bid. Uh, they were re- very aggressive. They want sports. They need sports. They, they believe in sports. That's the first part of it. The second part of it, possibility too, is the combo of the Amazon and Fox deal. And this is, again, another deal that they try to do kind of a combo deal and see if they could win it this way. It didn't work out. But Amazon with the streaming rights and then Fox with the broadcast rights. And that partnership, too, could work very well for Major League Soccer. So I think in many ways, I think Fox – I mean – I know there's a lot of people out there who believe that Fox isn't interested in MLS. I, I think they have to be with the domestic rights for going into the next World Cup, the 2026 well, the 2026 World Cup. It's not the next World Cup, but the 2026 World Cup. That is the important one. That's the biggest one probably. It's going to be the, the height, the zenith of, of soccer in this country. And you want to be all over U.S. television. You want to have that rah-rah USA message and um, – Having lost the Premier League, you mean Major League Soccer would be the next biggest one in terms of on the English language side, uh, breach and and I mean opportunities for advertising and I mean talking about the beautiful game. So I, I, I think that that's where that's where I'm at. I'm thinking more along the lines of Fox doing a deal with maybe Warner Media with HBO Max or Amazon for the MLS rights. And, and, and there might be some other players involved too. I'm sure Univision will be interested um, and, and some other players too. I'm sure some other streaming services also. Yeah, Chris, on that real quickly, I think the flexibility Fox has is that they're not tied to their own streaming service, right? I mean, we know uh, of their previous investment in Fubo. We know they own Tubi now, but they're not tied to, I think it's when I think the difficulty with the the talk of a CBS ESPN joint bid is what goes to Paramount Plus, what goes to ESPN Plus. They're both going to want the streaming, streaming component, even if they're able to agree on the dividing up of, of what games have been on network, right? When they were uh, talking about launching a joint Premier League bid. Yeah. I think any combination with Fox, Fox or Amazon, Fox and Warner Media, uh, I think it's easier. Fox will keep most of the broad, the over the air rights. But the, the, uh, the streaming will go to Discovery Plus or go to HBO Max. I think that's much more straightforward. So, yeah. And then one other point I want to make. I think Fox will keep something in, uh, in, in U.S. soccer, whether, it's they keep, whether they keep Major League Soccer or whether they keep the U.S. Soccer Federation package. One of those two things they'll keep. Whereas ESPN, I'm not sure if they're going to keep anything. They may just exit um, the MLS and U.S. Federation picture, keep their, their, their ties to USL. They obviously get a lot of content from USL that's on uh, ESPN networks and on ESPN Plus and call it a day and focus on La Liga and Bundesliga on this sport. Whereas with Fox, I think they're going to have to keep something. Maybe they keep both, right? Maybe they're an MLS and US, uh, USSF since those packages are now split. But they will keep one or the other at a minimum is my, is my prediction. Yeah, I think in many ways we're at a turning point for soccer rights in the United States and at the reason I say that is that we know that NBC's got the Premier League deal. We know that La Liga's got the um, ESPN Plus deal. Uh, the Bundesliga deal is, is for many years, too. Um, but there's a lot of question marks. The question marks are about ESPN's coverage uh, outside of the Bundesliga and La Liga. I mean, how interested are they in some of these I mean, Major League Soccer? 
rights to the U.S. men's national team and women's national team. Um, and and there's, there's other kind of entities, too, that uh, might be coming in, into soccer, such as that Warner Discovery deal that could be a new player. So it it's, uh, could be kind of a, a turning point in terms of uh, the next chapter in U.S. soccer rights uh, as far as in this country. Let's move on to the listener mailbag. We've got a lot of uh, great feedback from you, the listeners. Uh, first up is Corey. Corey says, wow, $2.7 billion for six seasons of the Premier League. That works out to be over $1.2 million per game. That's $460 million each year for the same matches that NBC used to pay $150 million for. Big picture, as of 2020, Comcast NBC was paying $350 million for all of the NHL and Premier League. Next year, it'll be spending $460 million for just the Premier League with one fewer cable network racking up monthly fees from subscribers. And in the same time frame, Comcast doubled its fee for NFL Sunday Night Football from $1 to $2 billion per year as well. The math around this is jarring. Considering recent analysis, um, uh, analysts who put uh, Peacock's paid universe to be under 10 million subscribers at an average price of $7 per month, the knock-on effect of these deals could be the definition of a lost leader. We've seen Fox and Turner scale back commitments midstream to leagues in the last couple of years, such as the Champions League and US Open Golf. What would you put the odds at the six-year deal actually finishing exclusively on NBC and Peacock? Wow. Kartik, great question there. <laughs> great question and some outstanding points. Look, one of the things about the NHL deal, uh, Corey, I think that, that uh, you're getting at is that because Comcast had just doubled down on Sunday night football and had spent an exorbitant amount of money to keep that, they felt like, the NHL, the value of the NHL going up uh, was not in their best interest to, to keep the property, particularly considering I think the NHL felt like they needed to get back on ESPN. Again, because of that megaphone ESPN has, this is the risk MLS might be running if they jump off ESPN for the first time in 25 years uh, next season um, or after next season, right? The, the rights would, uh, the new rights deal would begin in 2023. But uh, in terms of them now overpaying for the Premier League, I guess. It is the definition of a loss leader. They felt like they had to do it to get those Peacock subscriber numbers up or even maintain that number. How many of those people have subscribed simply because of the Premier League? I know I have. I think other people have as well. Uh, and uh, their, their um, paid universe is a little different thing because obviously if you're not an Xfinity customer, if you're not a Comcast customer, yeah, you subscribe to Peacock as a paid universe is part of that paid universe. Others don't, which is um, a complicated thing, the bundling going on there, which makes it, I think, uh, more difficult for them in general. Uh, same thing I would say for AT&T with, uh, with HBO Max and now uh, potentially with Discovery, uh, Discovery Plus coming on board, right? I mean, I know I, I'm an AT&T or a DirecTV customer, so I get HBO Max with my cable pa or my satellite package. Just like some of you, Chris, you're probably included in this, right? You have Xfinity. Oh, no, you don't anymore. Or do you? No, I have Xfinity, but only for the Internet, not for okay, cable. Okay, yeah. Xfinity TV customers I know get uh, – I know several that get Peacock, right? Yeah. They don't get Peacock Premium, but they get the basic Peacock package. Um, 
I mean, at some point, maybe NBC has to split Peacock from Xfinity and basically say, okay, if you're a Comcast internet or, or TV customer, thank you, but we're going to have to charge you extra for this. Uh, because uh, that, that number you also name, uh, about $7 a month, that is, is, a, is a low. That's lower than I thought the price point would be for their actual paid subscribers. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, they're losing a lot of money at that number. And maybe they, they think they can absorb the losses because they're, uh, they're trying to build a customer base. The other thing that's interesting about this, Chris, is, is uh, uh, Corey's email reminds me, Corey's um, uh, mailbag message reminds me, NBC has launched a number of streaming services, right? They have a weather streaming service. They have, I think now, two news streaming services. Am I right in saying that? Or maybe it's just NBC News Now. I think there's a second streaming server, News Plus, also. So they have all these, like, streaming components going on, which is kind of like what AT&T is doing, right? They're launching CNN Plus. They have HBO Max, although they're spinning that off into another company. They have uh, Discovery Plus once that merger is uh, complete. Although that's being spun right. off into a different company that they will still have uh, a, a significant number of shares in. So I'm not even sure what the strategy is for NBC. Is Peacock their primary consideration, or is it these other streaming services they're launching? Yeah, I still think it's both. I think it's like they're trying to have uh, their cake and eat it too, which is keeping cable subscribers uh, locked into Comcast and then also getting them to pay a little bit more and get Peacock. I mean, the $7 average, I think that's a little bit high in terms of what Corey said. I mean, it's four ninety nine a month for the Peacock Premium. And then there's a an additional, I think, Peacock Premium Plus that's a little bit more that's without advertising or less advertising. But then you have a lot of people, too, that subscribe to Peacock. Uh, they get it for free through Comcast or through, through Cox Cable or, or other ways. So, um, yeah, I think it's a loss leader. And I think uh, NBC will sp- stick with uh, the Premier League through that this, this deal, with this, this six-year deal, because I think at the end of the day, it is a loss leader, but uh, without the Premier League, again, you pull that plug. If NBC pulls a plug and says, hey, we can't finish this deal, then you're going to have hundreds of thousands of people uh, unsub- canceling their Peacock subscription overnight. And they just say, okay, well, in that case, I have no use for Peacock. And I, like you, Kartik, and like a lot of our listeners too, I'm sure, I mean, I have HBO Max. I watch a lot of HBO Max. I watch Netflix. I watch Amazon Prime. I've got Fubo. I've got ESPN Plus. I've got Hulu. I've got Peacock. Still, other than the Eurovision Song Contest, I, I, I hardly ever watch Peacock. I watched some of The Office when it was on. I tried a couple of different series on there. One of them was um, Frogger, which was a ripoff of Holy Moly. Uh, Holy Moly was great on ABC. It was Frogger was absolutely horrible on Peacock, uh, and they. I mean, I'm a big Alfred Hitchcock fan. They had the Hitchcock films on, on uh, Peacock for a while, but every time I go back to Peacock and I'm looking through trying to find stuff, there's nothing there. I, I know for 2022 that they're going to have a big push and to do more original programming, but we've seen with Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, as far as their original programming. And this has been going on for several years now. It's it's hit and miss. Some of it is good. Some of it is bad. Uh, and Netflix's percentage of their original programming, which is, about, I think, about 40% of the programming it shows is, is original. Same thing with them, but I think Netflix has had more hits than misses. And um, there's reasons to keep on going back to Netflix. And it doesn't have sports. 
but Peacock for me, I mean, is really ah, it's just, it's just the Premier League. That's it. Other than that, there, there's really not much worth. All right. Yeah, I, mean, yeah I, I, I think that this is this is why they had to do it, Chris. Though you just outlined the case as to I, we were asking ourselves a week ago when we recorded that show uh, after the rights were concluded after the deal was announced. Why NBC overpaid? Because they did overpay. I'm convinced yeah. of that. Yeah. You just outlined the case why they did. Yeah, and they had to pay more than what they wanted to pay because of the competition also. I mean, I'm sure they would have been happy to pay a lot less and still get it for Peacock. But then they were in a situation where, you mean, the Premier League was saying like, hey, we've got some bids that are higher than yours. We've got some bids from Discovery that, 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 that they don't blow you out of the water, but they're much more than what you're offering, NBC Sports. Would you like to maybe increase that bid a little bit more and keep it on Peacock and keep it on NBC, on the channels? I mean, this would be great for you. We've got a great relationship. We've got a great partnership. Let's make this work. And, and yes, they were able to figure out a deal. But um, numbers-wise, it's scary. Right, if you're an NBC Sports executive or NBC Universal executive or a Peacock executive, you're looking at these numbers going like, "Holy cow! How much are we paying?" Like, like, like Corey said, over a million dollars per game. That's crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, so they have to really improve Peacock big time. The, the pressure's on Peacock to get more original programming, to change the app, to make it more user friendly. Um, to make it a go-to app where you or I, you know, when we're not watching soccer, we're gravitating to Peacock to see, to watch that series, watch that show, whatever it may be. Um, and right now, that's not happening. Um, so they've got to make up a lot of time and a lot of um, shows. You mean to to make this to make this change to make them relevant? And they got the Premier League, which is a big deal, but but they need more than that. Or maybe not. Maybe they, maybe they don't. Maybe the Premier League, and that's it. We, we're happy Peacock's uh, paying subscribers, and you um, mean. But but in order to grow grow that audience, they they definitely need to to have other shows. Chris says, uh, when it comes to USA Network, I think putting matches there is a better solution, in my view, than simply putting the majority of the games on Peacock. As a regular USA watcher, I'm used to seeing sports there. And they have a history with soccer dating back to the early days of the network because they showed games from the old NASL for the for a few years in the early 1980s. I wish USA Network the best of luck in airing the Premier League the rest of the season. Yeah, and we're getting closer. So we're getting closer recording this um, the day before Thanksgiving Day. We know that NBCSN's last day on in existence is December 31st, uh, 2021. And then 2022 will be a bright new future with USA Network. But what we don't know yet, Kartik, is kind of how things will will come. Uh, you mean Mondays usually you, you can set your watch to it. When there's a game on Monday in the Premier League on 3 p.m. Eastern, you know that's going to be on NBCSN. Will that game be on USA Network? On Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern or 7.30 a.m. Eastern, is that always going to be on USA Network? Can we expect coverage from 7.30 in the morning all the way through till uh, 12.30 in the afternoon? Five hours of coverage on USA Network. Or maybe not. Again, we, we don't know. So About 7.30, 7. They, 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 uh, 7 o'clock is when they do their pregame show. 
That's right, right, right. Definitely. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just talking about match coverage, but but yeah, pregame show too. So can we expect five and a half hours continuous on USA Network on Saturdays beginning uh, in January? I would think so, but we don't know. And, and as soon as we find out, we will share those details. Dan says, I guess this means Comcast NBC will have to come up with some new Wii's to make back the enormous spend. Personally, I'd be happy to spend several hundred dollars a year just to have access to all matches via streaming so I could finally cancel my YouTube TV account. Sure, NBC won't make that easier and we'll all end up paying more for the same or worse service as before. Was hoping that this deal would have gone to ESPN Plus just because they have such a superior streaming platform, but the Premier League only cares about money. Fetchy Natua says, I was hoping for the new deal that NBC uh, would simulcast all of the 380 games on Peacock. I think for this to grow, the game uh, is what's needed uh, with Premier League mornings on, on the main NBC network instead of NBCSN with the first match on NBC uh, network at 7.30 in the morning and at 10 o'clock and at 12.30 on Saturdays. So that's three big matches on NBC. At 10 a.m., this is what... Uh, uh, I would call the Peacock TV block. Um, decided to just, I'm, I'm not sure what Fetch is saying here, but anyway, having all six matches, oh, okay, having all six matches live on uh, Peacock at, in the 10, 10 a.m. block. Sundays should be dedicated to the USA Network, one match at 9 o'clock in the morning, then the last one at 11.30. And wh- while I think we would all like to see more games on, N- on NBC, the network, and there's been hints that NBC might have some more games than normal on NBC. I, we're not going to get uh, five hours of programming on a Saturday morning on the NBC network, right, Kartik? Uh, no. In fact, you can't because of the, uh, the FCC requirements that educational programming be shown on Saturday mornings on the uh, over-the-air networks. So that means it's impossible. Now, you could occasionally break that up and have a game uh, that that's shown. I mean, obviously, the weekends of the Open Championship, uh, the, golf, uh, the Golf Open Championship, uh, known as the British Open in the U.S., they show broadcasts on NBC from like 8 a.m. in the morning, and they don't show educational programming that weekend. But you, you may be able to get away with it one weekend every two or three months, but I don't think uh, they could do it regularly. So it would have to be on USA, or it'll be interesting to see how the UCNBC and all this, because... I remember a time when NBC used to dump a lot of sporting events on CNBC over the weekends. And then they tried uh, putting talk shows, right, these kind of uh, Charles Roden, these sorts of talk shows, Susie Orman, uh, et cetera, Donnie Deutsch on weekends. That didn't really work. Now they've got to a lot heavy infomercials or repeats of stuff during the week in addition to some Premier League games we've seen on CNBC. Maybe they use CNBC more as this deal, because this is six years, right? They might have a plan right now. They're talking a lot about USA Network right now, Chris. But you and I both know in a year that might change, and CNBC might be sitting there with infomercials on Saturday and Sunday mornings, and that becomes the easier place to throw games. So I would keep yep. an eye on that. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Matt says, I'll be honest, I'm pleased with this uh, Premier League deal on NBC. My one wish for the bid was that anything but Fox... So my one requirement was met. I hope keep Peacock sees some improvements. Having a small image while scrolling would be great. And please, 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 NBC, put the Premier League Productions version of Premier League Review Show either on NBCSN in the middle of the night 
or actually available to view on demand on Peacock. It airs sometime Monday mornings on their Premier League channel, but for some reason is never on demand. And as fun as the studio studio show is, I prefer the Premier League production's way. In Kartik, that has been a staple for many, many years, going back to, what, the early 2000s, of how many of us really got to know and experience the Premier League in a lot of detail and see all the, the goals and the action and the talking points. And as time has gone by, especially with NBC Sports, that show has become less and less relevant because it's not shown. It's a great show. Uh and it has a lot of advantages. I mean, there's really no disadvantages, but it's kind of been it's been relegated because I think NBC Sports wants to elevate their coverage. They want to have people tuning into Goal Zone and be that consider that as kind of the the place to go to for uh, Premier League discussion and news and highlights, etc. And have NBC on the pedestal rather than Premier League productions. Yeah, and Chris, that's how I learned all the commentators, too, to be truthfully truthful with you, from the point that Fox Sports World started showing that show. So Fox Sports World had this show. Actually, they showed on Fox Sports Regional Networks, uh, hosted by Lionel Bienvenue. Everyone remembers that show. That was around then. Um, that they kind of took the same sort of American angle to it, um, et cetera, although it was a great show, actually. They did a lot of, of – of, uh, education about the Premier League. But then once they kicked the show back to Fox Sports World, they showed these review shows every week and they would air them, re-air them during the week on Fox Sports regional channels. And you would get to learn who the commentators were because what they do with those the, the Premier League production show, for those of you who haven't watched this, they splice together portions from the match commentary. And at the beginning of each match, let's say it's Southampton versus Pompey, right? Southampton, Portsmouth, our match commentator today is uh, Kevin Key, I, you know, I, is, is whoever, right? Is Rob Hawthorne along with Jim Beglin, the, the, the person who's hosting will say that. So you got to know everybody's voices, even if you weren't getting access to all the games. So for me and for what we do, Chris, uh, at World Soccer Talk and this podcast, I felt like uh, that show was indispensable. And that I do miss. I absolutely miss that show. Now I guess we know all the commentators, so maybe it's not as big a deal from that perspective, but... I, I would tell you I wouldn't know as much about the media side of it if we hadn't had that show, honestly. Yeah, plus plus I think access to the highlights um, in a lot easier way through social media or YouTube, etc., uh, makes that show a little bit less relevant because you mean you can you can watch the the highlights you want to watch, but as far as a um, an educational tool, kind of a, a way to inform the viewership, um, it, yeah, I think it's still still fantastic. JP. Yeah, and the highlight cuts are not as good as uh, that. The, the cuts on that show, right? The highlight cuts on YouTube's, uh, to wherever the club websites are not as good, in my opinion. Yeah, that show was the best in terms of that. You saw the build-up play, you saw the off-the-ball movement, you got the kind of natural match commentary, not something after the fact, uh, which when you know what's going to happen and the person's calling it. So, um, I, I I miss that show. I agree. JP says, um, I think the aspect of the World Cup in 2026 being a tool to increase interest in the Premier League or any other league is way overblown. Many World Cup cycles, well, two, have come and gone since NBC took over the, the Premier League rights. Was there any noticeable, no, noticeable bump because of that? Club football fans are going to tune into the World Cup. Casual fans of sports in general are going to tune into the World Cup or at least follow loosely. 
those fans aren't going to become dedicated followers of club football afterwards. I've seen it firsthand with non-soccer fans I know. They'll gladly follow a World Cup and enjoy it, but no interest from approximately August through May for domestic leagues. It's much like the Olympics and how many of us get wrapped into the competitions we care nothing about otherwise. So the justification for overextending themselves for Premier League rights just because a U.S.-hosted World Cup is within that rights cycle is quite a reach. I'm in agreement with Kartik here. The amount is too high. Guess that's the price to pay to keep your streaming service somewhat re- relevant when there is barely anything else to keep people from dropping it. So this one, JP, and listeners, I, I completely disagree with because we can look back. I mean, we started World Soccer Talk in 2005. So we've got kind of a good 15 years of experience of seeing if there is any influence from the World Cup. And every single World Cup, you can look at the the TV ratings data and you can see in terms of um, you go back to, say, the 2006 World Cup. And at that point, MLS had greater viewing numbers than the Premier League. And you go to the 2010 World Cup. I think that's where it started to change big time. And you started to see the Premier League um, actually, I think, beating MLS by that point. Uh, 2014, again, Premier League going up, MLS um, increasing slightly. Uh, And then 2018. 2018 is the only World Cup I would say that there wasn't an increase in number of fans. And, And going back to JP's point is that, yes... There's a lot of uh, fans that watch the World Cup, or a lot of sports fans that watch the World Cup, and don't become hooked. They watch the World Cup, enjoy it, and they move on and say, okay, I'll be back in four years from now. But there are a large number, and this is from personal experience, a large number of fans that are introduced in a World Cup and then absolutely diehard fans. They're into it. They're learning. They're studying up. They're trying to find their Premier League team, trying to figure out, okay, who should I support? Getting into the culture... And before you know it, even if it's, I don't know, 10% or 20% of those fans that come in as a casual to the World Cup those, and then become diehard fans, that, that's a big number, especially when you have the World Cup. All right, let's move on to Mercator. Mercator says, um, while somewhat connected to the issue of whether NBC overpaid, what do you guys th- uh, see them doing differently this right cycle i think many of us were hoping they would simulcast all games on peacock which has already been ruled out is there any chance of them including more content from sky do you see them bringing any new talent into the studio next season maybe uh, including 4k broadcasts on peacock or nbc sports I think the concern among many is that Comcast paid so much for these rights, they will be looking for creative ways to make their $430 million a year back. And those methods may not be good for fans of the league and will hinder any improvement in the broadcast or product. So let's pause there for a second. Kartik, so what do you think? Everything stays the same or, or do things change with NBC Sports? I hope they change, but I don't know if they will because they've kept the deal. But they have to get some more value out of this. So I I think maybe more more synergies with Sky. And maybe uh, maybe we'll see some some freshening up of the the studio. That's the thing that I'm most concerned about. And the lack of uh, 
actual original programming now around the league. Uh, they, they're they partly a victim of their own success, right? They set such a high bar the first few seasons they had the league that uh, the drop-off the last few years has been noticeable. And again, reiterated, did not start with COVID, as some, some of the listeners have claimed. It started long before that. I, I would pinpoint it somewhere 2018, maybe the start of the 18-19 season, we began to see a drop-off and, and, and fewer original programs, fewer match of the day was dropped completely. So um, maybe at the very least, they bring back some of those things. They get more documentaries about the clubs. Uh, they, they, even if that means they're, they're getting uh, documentaries after the fact, you know, like they did with Jack to a King and, and, uh, and things like that. You bring that, you bring that and hear that on NBC. I, well, I guess you hear that on Peacock. I don't know where they air it, actually. That's part of the problem. Now they're shutting down NBCSN. So maybe now that I think about it, since they're shutting down NBCSN, maybe they just keep it the same, Chris. Because um, as Mercator points out, there, there, there are all these possibilities, but then they're shutting down the one logical place you'd put it on linear television, any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I think uh, personally, if I had to go into the prediction uh, machine and, and, and say, okay, here's what's going to happen over the next few years with the Premier League on NBC Sports, my prediction would be in terms of the coverage, nothing changes. It's the same same talent. Maybe now and again, someone, I mean, you mean, maybe a special guest or something like that. But for the most part, it's going to be the same type of style and same talent and same tone. And it's good coverage. I mean, the, you mean, yes, it could be better. Yes, it could be a lot worse. It, it, but it's good. I mean, it, it goes up. Uh, it's like a roller coaster. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not so great. But for the most part, it's, it's far better than uh, what we had before and a lot better than, than a lot of the other, other coverage out there. The two things I would say that could change, that should change, that probably will change for this next um, cycle of the TV rights deal with the Premier League and NBC Sports is, one, I think there's going to, there's going to be more fan festivals. There's a pent-up demand now, hopefully, right, knock on wood, hopefully things are continuing to get better with COVID and there's less um, uh, issues and that there's going to be a pent-up demand of people wanting to to get back and to celebrate and, and go on trips and go to cities and go to outdoor events and you mean emerge themselves or submerge themselves in a, in a really fun atmosphere. And I think the fan festivals – give NBC Sports an opportunity to go ahead and, and do more cities. Um, maybe not Los Angeles the, uh, the next time, but to spread that wealth more and to do more events, which was which is going to help um, increase the number of fans, increase the number of viewers, and then also celebrate the Premier League uh, with the existing fans that are watching the league. So I think that's going to happen. The other thing I would predict, and this is something that's more intricate, it's more difficult, but there, there has to be, at some point in the, in the near future, in the next few years, an opportunity for more Premier League teams to come play in the United States. So I don't think that's a 39th game, but it could be a, a, a tournament or a competition. The, the challenge we have right now is trying to figure out when, this, when would that happen, where, you mean, especially with the World Cup uh, in 2022 screwing up the schedule and the calendar, but there has to be opportunities for NBC Sports and the Premier League clubs to work together to figure out something. Okay, can we have some type of event here? Can we have the Community Shield? Could we have uh, some some select games or something? Um, and 
use NBC Sports's marketing machine and the Premier League's marketing machine and put together events or games or friendlies or tournaments or whatever it may be, something to take it to the next level. And, and I think that's quite possible with what NBC Sports provides and what the Premier League offers as far as the fan bases. Um, and we're just scratching the surface. I think there's a, there's a big opportunity to, to grow that here. So Mokoto goes on to say, and uh, a different topic, but a very important one. Uh, he says, uh, fully agree on, on CBS dropping the ball recently on the U.S. men's national team games. A real disappointment given their strong start. Did something change? They seem to have just stopped making an effort in many cases. Even the, the Canada-Mexico broadcast was pretty bad. And I would say, too, I mean, just um, to talk big picture here, I, I think in many ways CBS Sports... They've, they've jumped the shark as far as the soccer coverage. They started off really well, did fantastic with the, Prem, uh, with the Champions League, um, with the CONCACAF Cup, had, had, had a great start, and have been making all the right decisions. But in the last couple of months, it seems that they're just so focused on the, int- the entertainment factor. And I think a lot of it is just trying to do funny, jokey, zany stuff and then put those as clips and put them on social media. That well, It's almost like social media is driving the, the content and programming. And then the other thing is, too, some of our listeners may have noticed this, though, too, is that any time uh, something zany or crazy happens on set, the Daily Mail in England is writing a story about um, Micah Richards does this with Jamie Carragher on the set juggling the soccer ball or, or something. Or they laugh about whatever. And it ends up being a story. So I think in some ways that encourages CBS Sports to do more zany stuff because it's going to be shareable on social media and it's also going to be probably picked up by some news outlets. And at the end of the day, it dilutes and diminishes uh, diminishes their level of content and quality and, and programming. It is very little quality and it is a lot of just... Um, laughter and and for me i i've i've stopped watching the post-match shows now because there's there's no point i mean i've watched the games i mean i know the score lines i've seen the goals and i'm done there's there's nothing there of value for me now at this point what about you what about you Kartik? do you disagree no i completely agree to the point where i'm basically now uh, when i watch champions league thinking that i should be watching it on 2 dna uh, Univision, right? That, that I should be not watching it even on CBS. It's gotten to that point. The uh, the, the pregame shows are of no value to me. The post-match shows are, are these kind of joke fests, laugh fests. Uh, I stopped watching it. And I, 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 if there's a match I want to watch on Paramount Plus, I do that. Uh, if there's a match that is uh, on 2DNA that I want to watch, I watch it on 2 and I don't bother with the Paramount Plus CBS coverage. It's gotten to that point. Now, I have to admit on Europa League, I, I've kind of stuck uh, in Conference League. I've stuck with CBS and, and Paramount Plus to this point, and I think uh, the Golasso show is particularly useful for Europa League. So yeah. um, maybe my critique is, is, is limited to Champions League and not to Europa or, uh, or Conference League. And Conference League is actually a tournament I'm enjoying. I don't know if I've said that on the show before, but I'm actually watching that more than I'm watching Europa. Uh, it's interesting to me because I'm seeing a lot of teams that I wouldn't see otherwise. In yeah. Uh, so well, that's been cool. Maybe it'll be just one year that I'm excited about, but I kind of like it. 
Yeah, I, I agree as far as the um, – I, well, I would say the Europa League. I, I've been a big fan of the Europa League for many years, but the, the Conference League too. I've watched some of those games, mostly the Spurs games. But um, to me, the Thursdays it, it has been sometimes more entertaining than, than the Champions League because – I mean, you look at some of those fan bases, some of those teams that, that don't often get a lot of the limelight uh, or spotlight, and some of those teams, whether it's Sparta Prague or, I mean, the fan bases are like full-on, hardcore, passionate, just going crazy, enjoying the games, enjoying the football, and just loving being in, in a top-level competition with the Europa League. And, and the same thing applies to the Conference League. You see different uh, stadiums, you see different crowds and players and and the the football is entertaining so i would go back going back to the champions league so while i'm not watching the post-match uh uefa champions league on on the main you know, uh with kate abdo and, and the crew i am watching uh the Golasso show and the main reason for me right now is freddie lundberg and freddie's great he's jovial he's knowledgeable Great analysis and a, a pleasure to to watch and listen to. So I'm still watching uh, the Champions League through Paramount Plus, but I think I think was it maybe earlier this week or probably on Tuesday. I was probably watching Zona Football too. So with the, the whip around show on uh, To Any Extra. So yeah, but overall disappointing with CBS Sports because I think they've they've lost the plot. Um, and I'm, seems it seems to be not temporary either. So, yeah, listeners, let, let us know what you think about that and if we're uh, off base there. Mercator does say one more thing, and this is another important point. Uh, on a more optimistic note, with Fox losing with a higher bid for the Premier League, is there any chance this leads them to improve their coverage? You have to think it's almost cheaper to just properly broadcast the, the the sport than being so bad that you need to pay a huge premium to keep any decent rights. Fox can do well when they try in other sports. The verdict is still out on football and they have tons of 4K content. I'm hoping that this will have shamed them into putting out something excellent for the upcoming World Cup, if only so they don't have to overpay as much in the football going forward. In, in the football, I think he means uh, soccer in this regard. Can't take it, it. It is one of those things. I, I'm I, again. I'm starting with a blank slate and giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm hoping that Fox learns from their mistakes, and I hope that they elevate their coverage. And but I'm not confident. I I just don't see any changes internally within Fox to to really. You mean dictate that there is a difference? Um, I'm hopeful, but not optimistic. What, what about you? I'm not particularly optimistic. I think that they've set a lot of format and a formula. There were several seasons while uh, we were critical of Fox's coverage, it did get better, right? Their coverage of the Champions League got better in that period. Their coverage of the Bundesliga got better in that period, and then they just quit. I mean, once they lost the rights and COVID happened, they just quit on the Bundesliga. But, um, yeah, now I think it's just very stagnant. Their MLS coverage is all over the map, right? I don't, uh, I don't yeah. get much from it. And and truthfully, I have to say, you know, I, I'm not as anti Alexi Lalas as everybody else seems to be, and I think that he's not being utilized to the best of his abilities either, right? Because we do know if Lalas 
is kind of forced out of sort of a hot take comfort zone. He can be a pretty good analyst uh, of things, but they're not they're not doing that, right? The hosts there aren't doing that, or the producers there aren't doing that. So um, I still think uh, John Strong and, and Stu Holden are are, are, are solid, but uh, the production around the matches that they're calling isn't so good, and the studio shows aren't so good. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's. I yeah, I think it's an opportunity to clean house, to start with a fresh new approach, and especially going into the 2022 World Cup, and then, of course, 2026. I mean, there's a huge potential. You mean, so if Fox is able to regain some of the trust um, and rebuild and make some smart decisions, um, they have an opportunity to bring in back a lot of viewers. I mean, it's going to be big numbers, right? A lot of viewers to watching these World Cup tournaments. Otherwise, I think a lot of us will go back to watching Telemundo, which Telemundo, even if you don't speak Spanish, is I mean, it's it's bright, it's loud, it's passionate, it's great quality, it's tons of coverage, and that's a pretty bad kind of a status. I think also I have to be honest about this. For people who watch the Premier League, the NBC graphics are very comforting and comfortable to us, and Telemundo uses those graphics. That's that's part of a similar graphic right. package. So yeah. That's part of it. But, but, but that's the thing, though, is, is like how bad is Fox's coverage if it turns people away to watch it in Spanish for those people who don't even speak or understand Spanish? It has to be pretty bad. And But, but it, there's a lot of things that Telemundo – I mean, within the Spanish-language audience, I mean, Telemundo does a lot of things right. Um, and it is more attractive for a lot of – even people who don't speak Spanish. So, so Fox has the opportunity here to really do the right thing and to pay attention, to open up. Uh, and be open to criticism to be open to feedback to say hey we're going to try and do things a little bit better here because we we think that we've got something uh, good going and it just seems to be it's uh, as of right now it's the same fox from like 10 years ago it just hasn't changed since the the gus johnson times all right, a few more uh, listener mailbag uh, feedback and and we again we appreciate uh, all your inputs uh, Jason says, uh, changing tune a little bit here, I suppose the next big thing in this broadcasting merry-go-round is the English uh, Football League and maybe the FA Cup or Community Shield next year. I hope it stays with ESPN myself between the championship and the FA Cup. Your appetite for the English game on ESPN Plus alone can still be satisfied pretty darn good. Greg says, uh, in regards to La Liga, there's plenty of good reasons to, to watch La Liga. Real Sociedad are fun to watch and could pip the, t- uh, the title, if not a top four. Sevilla are, are in a good position to do something similar. Xavi building Barcelona back to being a better club, more fun to watch. Developing Ansu Fati and, and Gavi, uh, rehabbing Dembele, uh, Vinicius Jr. and Benzema make you want to root for Real Madrid. Radamel Falcao and uh, Rayo Vallecano are a great story. Even if the Rayo owner is a Steve Bruce-like nightmare, Real Betis are always entertaining. Conmebol Chris Guardino says, I, I, I quickly wanted to offer my thoughts on Fubo's coverage of the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers. The two matches I watched, Bolivia against Uruguay and Venezuela against Peru, both had significant issues with audio. I could barely hear the crowd because it seemed like Fubo had amplified the commentator's volume 
down uh, to drown them out. In addition, there were buffering and picture quality issues, even though my home Wi-Fi was working well. If Fubo wants to acquire more Soccerites in the future, they really need to fix these issues, especially since they are uh, likely to be showing many matches from the Euros in both 2024 and 2028. I say this as a customer of theirs for two years who wants them to be successful at covering major tournaments going forward. So yeah, I, I watched many of these games too, Chris, uh, and a bunch of other ones from the World Cup qualifiers. I think it's the same issue that we had with um, the CONCACAF games on Paramount+, Plus, where in order to use their commentators, um, it's, it screws up with the, the sound mix, because like with the CONCACAF games that were on Paramount+, Plus, uh, the sound was pretty bad, and then you had, I mean, whether it's um, Caitlin Kyle or whoever it was doing the commentary, you could hear them, but then the, the sound noise was down. Compared to Telemundo, who was at the source, and you had the commentators at the game with their uh, commentating, with their audio, and then the sound in the background of, of all the fans cheering and stuff like that. So I think that's part of it is that Fubo's taking the feed and then putting on their commentators over the top of, of, of the the commentators that are doing the game, and the quality suffers. Now, now, in regards to picture quality and buffering, buffering I didn't have any issues with, but there were some issues, I think technical issues, and it wasn't on Fubo's part. I think that was on Conmobile's part, whether it's uh, satellite signals, but there were a couple of times where um, the game kind of looked like bitmapped, kind of it was, it was blurry for a little bit. But overall, I'd say the quality was was decent. Um, but I do agree in terms of sound picture quality issues, and those do definitely need to be improved. Um, actually, if anything, actually the sound on the English language broadcasts of those games uh, through Fubo was better than the Spanish language uh, audio quality for whatever reason. Last but not least, Kartik, uh, Martin says, I'm a re- regular listener to your podcast and check in on the World Soccer Talk site for updated soccer schedules, as well as following Kartik on Twitter. Since you cover all aspects of soccer media, I was wondering if you could list some soccer podcasts out there besides yours that you enjoy. I just found Eric Winalda's great podcast and also listened to ESPN FC's podcast daily. I try to catch um, Guardian Football podcasts uh, one a week, which mixes humor with good analysis. I believe BBC's once in a, once a week World Football Phone-In with Tim Vickery is great because it mixes soccer and the cultural influence it has around the world. Lastly, since I'm a Bundesliga fan, I listen to uh, Talking Fußball since it is uh, the league I enjoy the most. Does your crew have more suggestions? Kartik, I'll have you kick it off if there's anything... Uh, of notes that you recommend that you listen to? Those are the ones uh, I listen to. I I think uh, that those are probably the best kind of frequent uh, daily ones. I mean, if you want to get a a, uh, a flavor of, of fans from time to time, I, I listen to BBC Five Live or I stream uh, stuff on TalkSport, particularly when Simon Jordan's and uh, um, former Crystal Palace chairman is in the studio uh, on TalkSport. But uh, no, don't. Uh, no, you, you like him, Simon Jordan? 
I don't like his opinions. I like it. I I I I like to hear what he has to say because he's wrong about so much. <laughs> he's wrong. About, he's wrong about everything. <laughs> he's wrong about everything, right? Okay. He's okay. I won't say he's wrong about everything. He's wrong about eighty percent of the stuff. But I do have to admit, I keep tabs on him because I know I know if my take may seem outrageous and he's saying the opposite thing, it really isn't. And usually he's saying the opposite thing from what I would say. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I like uh, Football Weekly, and I also like um, Martin. The fact that Football Weekly now has split out a separate uh, European football podcast. So if you want to, because there are people who just like English football, they can listen to uh, the Monday edition, uh, and then if they like uh, the, the Continental Game, which I do, then you can listen Tuesday, and then you obviously have the Football Weekly ex- extra as well. So I like what they've done with the podcast, and I, as I've said many times on the show. I had stopped listening when Jim, uh, uh, AC Jimbo, when uh, R- R- James Richardson was still hosting, and uh, Max Rushton has won me back as a devo- devote, uh, devout listener to them. I listen to them three times a week. It, it, it's weird though, too, because like the Football Weekly podcast I used to listen to all the time. I haven't done a lot lately, but I've been listening in the last maybe like few weeks or so to get back into it. I'm just amazed by how much advertising there is on the, on that podcast now. Um, you mean that that's something like like on this podcast, for example, we could go out there and, and include advertising pretty easily. Uh, we choose not to because we're trying to focus and, and concentrate on the content itself. But from what The Guardian used to be, even the, the website, in terms of how much uh, great uh, information it had, it was the, the Athletic before The Athletic. And The Guardian's always been really good. But in of recent times, definitely the quality has dropped off and with the podcast i was saying like too i was just surprised how much advertising there is with you know, barry glenn denning doing kind of a uh, opening monologue for for an advertiser th- those types of things which you mean kind of ruin the the, the appeal uh, for me um, this is unrelated but it is kind of related i think the athletic has i know the athletic has had a big impact on on newsrooms everywhere i think it's done more to decimate the guardians football pages than yep. anything for sure. Any other impact that's made. I mean, they just took every, just about every good writer from the Guardian. You still have Jonathan Liu, and you still have Jonathan Wilson, and you know, occasionally Barney Roney's writing, but it's not, it's not what it used to be at all. Or Susie Rack still writes for the Guardian, so there are a few, but the vast majority of really high-end writers who wrote these thoughtful analytical pieces have taken it behind the paywall at the Athletic, which to me is everyone's loss. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, as far as my recommendations, so what I w- listen to oftentimes is my escape. So escape from kind of the maybe transfer news or just, uh, I mean, normal discussion about football. I usually try to listen to, to something a little bit different. So the three ones, the three I listen to on a regular basis, one is called Kit Bliss. And that one is a podcast uh, that comes out maybe every couple of months or so uh, that focuses on football kits. So it goes into kind of the nerdy part of you know, comparing Admiral to Umbro to Adidas to Nike to Le Coq Sportif, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that goes into a lot of detail about you mean, the history of kits and the, the designs and which ones are better than others. Um, so that, that's one escape for me. Uh, the second escape is the Football Attic, which this one... Uh, is probably my personal favorite in that uh, what it does, it goes back into uh, episodes of Match of the Day or the Big Match, which is from uh, the UK from back in the 70s and 80s, and it dissects an entire episode. 
So if it's an episode of you know, Chelsea against Swansea City from 1979 on uh, BBC Match of the Day or, or the big match, um, it actually goes through minute by minute of that broadcast and talks about everything, not just soccer, but um, the types of um, advertising signboards and you I mean if those those businesses are still in business. Uh, to football kits, to the style of football, to the commentators, to the presenters, uh, to the graphics on screen, and what Stamford Bridge Bridge looked like in nineteen seventies, and how it compares to today, and you mean kind of cars parked around the pitch. I mean, so it, it's pure escape escapism, but also a little bit of nostalgia for me. And last but not least, Ellis James's Feast of Football which is a podcast uh, that's from BBC Radio Wales, and that focuses on Welsh football. And it talks about Swansea City, my club, as well as Wrexham, uh, Cardiff City, Newport, and uh, some of the non-league teams, uh, or or Welsh Welsh, uh, lower league teams uh, from Wales, as well as the national team. So again, again, that's back to my roots. But those are the three podcasts uh, I listen to. And Alice James, you can hear fairly often on the Guardian pod. Uh, Max brings him on ever so often, um, yep. particularly during the Euros. He was on all the time during the Euros. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, so there's three that I have. Listeners, if you have any podcasts that you recommend uh, other than World Soccer Talk, let us know. Uh, and if you've got something that you want to share with us um, or want to ask us, we'd love to read your comments out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Not to finish, not to be outdone yet, but uh, as far as games this weekend that we recommend to watch, um, mine Kartik is probably bizarre in many ways, but Marseille against Troy uh, on Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time on uh, BN Sports and BN Sports and Espanol. I'm, I'm not a fan of football hooliganism, but I do love a passionate crowd, and French football these days has been full on just hardcore just you mean intense sometimes going over the edge and postponing games because of violence but really enthusiastic really getting behind the players and really really um interesting to watch because i think in french football right now we're going through a period of time where football hooliganism is an issue and uh it looks like the french league is not doing a good job of policing it so on the pitch, yes, Marseille, always an interesting uh, team to watch. But I'm also interested in watching this game from the off-the-pitch incidents to see how the French League and, and police are going to deal with this issue. And on Marseille especially, the way the stadium is designed, they have netting behind um, the goal, but the away fans are right in the corner near the large end of huge end of Marse- Marseille fans. So what's ha- happened several times this season so far is that fans have been throwing flares and rockets and projectiles from the home crowd into the away crowd and the away crowd into the home crowd, and they're right next to each other. So I'm interested in watching this one from from a football perspective, but also to see how how they actually deal with 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 the the fans. And maybe Troy maybe doesn't have as big of a away following as uh, obviously Leon etc. But uh, I will be watching it uh, closely. Kartik, what about you? What's your recommendation for this weekend? 
Yeah, Man City, West Ham. Uh, West Ham had a little bit of a setback this past week, but they uh, uh, they are a good team under David Moyes. Agbonos' uh, uh, injuries hurt them. They're not very deep. Uh, Manchester City right now without Foden and without Grealish. Uh, so I think this is going to be a very competitive match. We've seen uh, we've seen City drop points uh, in these sorts of matches uh, thus far. So I think it's going to be very very interesting. Uh, 9 a.m. on NBCSN for Chelsea Man United. Either of us picked. Uh, maybe that's interesting if, uh, to the extent that we'll see how Michael Carrick as the caretaker before the caretaker before the permanent manager does with Manchester United. Uh, if there's, in fact, another caretaker, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. probably know. Yeah, Chelsea, Man United, and uh, all the games actually on the Premier League on Sunday are on Peacock, every single one of them. The times, they are changing. All right, so if you like the show, uh, share it with your friends on social media. Give us a review on iTunes, on the uh, Apple Music's uh, podcast uh, app. And thank you for listening. You can also also get an episode um, every Thursday through Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. Heading into a big weekend of soccer from around the world. Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.